In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. Hello, and welcome back to Soft Black Woman, presented by The Betches Up. I'm your host, Dr. Akila Kaday, and each and every Friday on Soft Black Woman, we'll be talking about a range of topics from pop culture to politics to how we live our lives, of course, through the lens of intersectionality. I have a very exciting announcement coming up in today's episode, so stay tuned for that. Um, but each and every week on Soft Black Women, I'll be joined by a different guest co-host who will help me break down those stories. And this week, I'm very excited to introduce Isara Krager. Hi, how are you? Hi, I'm good. Happy good. to be here. I'm thrilled you're here. Isara is a documentary filmmaker, producer, editor, and her work centers the social and emotional effects of inequitable structures in the U.S., and I have to say, Isara is an incredible storyteller, and I'm honored to be one of her producers for mm-hmm. her documentary that we'll talk a little bit about. Um, but yeah, I, I just, like, for you, for everyone, um, we, we made it. We're out of Mercury Retrograde, and I think that's really important to share. So go buy your <laughs> electronics, um, have things make sense, uh, and no longer dealing with the dysfunction that mercury retrograde uh brings in um how's today treating you it is we'll see we'll see (laughs) well what we do know (laughs) is that it's we mutually agreed it is a great hair day your hair yes absolutely (laughs) absolutely fantastic um i was actually talking to isara yesterday about the uh documentary that i get to support her on in Oakland, California. And today I'm in New York in the studio. Uh, and it's one of my favorite places to be. So it's great that um, we can have this moment with you. So um, as I shared, I do have a big announcement. So we're going to flip things up a little bit. You all know that I finished with Soft Black Woman of the Week. But this week, we're starting with Soft Black Woman of the Week because I'm the Soft Black Woman. Let's just like, have a moment of silence for that uh, or applause, maybe celebration, who knows. But we know, like we talk about the soft black woman of the week and we're highlighting someone who's out there role modeling being a soft black woman. And again, this week it's me. So uh, what does that all mean? Well, starting in January, 2024, all new episodes of soft black women will appear in their own feed. So we're still gonna have episodes every week. But you'll just find me in my own channel. So you want to make sure you go to Apple, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe to that channel because that's where my weekly episodes will be coming out. So you want to hit follow. You want to be the first to hear episodes. And if you miss me, there will be a trailer there and all the other episodes that you can tap into so we can have tender moments. But you're probably like, okay, but what does it have to do with Soft Black Bone besides the name of the podcast? And you're absolutely right. But I am prioritizing softness for me. And that's because y'all know I live with chronic pain and disability. I have a whole bunch of hell shit going on. 
I have to go have major surgery. Um, I'm having surgery to live and thrive. Um, I'll probably talk about it when I come back. So I'll let you all know how that journey was, but it's going to take me out for a while. So I need some time to have the surgery, to rest, to recuperate. And so that means I'll be coming back in January. So the last episode will be the end of September, which is cool because, you know, I'm a Virgo and I think it's a very wonderful way to go out. And y'all know that my book, White Supremacy is All Around, is launching in February, February 6, 2024. And so when I come back in January, we'll talk more book stuff. We'll get into book vibes, book energy. It's just, I don't know, it's just going to be a huge year for all of us. So it's important for you to remember to support us by subscribing to that channel, following that channel, um, listening to episodes, telling people about it. And again, when you miss me, I'm there. And I'm also on social media, so you can find me at Change Today. I'll probably dabble and do some stuff there. But make sure wherever you listen to your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, wherever you are, that you subscribe, follow, and get ready for the softness that we're going to bring for you in 2024. Congratulations, Akila. I'm really proud of you and happy for you. I feel like I've known you for a little bit now. And it's just awesome to see you on this journey and to have, you know, a creative role model out there for me, just you're true in your truth, doing your thing and can't be stopped even with what you have to carry in the health realm. So I'm happy for you. Thank you. (laughs) I feel like um, here's a little fun fact about me and Asara. We both mm-hmm. live in Oakland, but we've only seen each other in Savannah, Georgia. <laughs> That's a good fun fact. <laughs> it is a, a very fun fact. So yesterday we were chatting. We're like, we probably should just get together in, in, in Oakland. Um, but we'll tell you a little bit more about our, our meet cute um, when we get to talk <laughs> about your, your documentary coming up. But let's move into fourth culture because it's the part of the show where we examine some of the top trending pop culture and media headlines. So I would love to talk about you as a director um, and talking about the highest standard. So Mm -hmm. the highest standard um, is a forthcoming feature documentary film Mm -hmm. uh, that is being premiered this year. So congratulations Um, for you. Little tiny congratulations for me, but the big one for you. Like this is Mm -hmm. so exciting. It's being Mm -hmm. um, premiered. So happy to be on this journey for you. And it expands upon the short uh, film Beacon that you did in 2017, which is actually part of your master's program Mm -hmm. um, that follows three students as they make a leap across the education gap. I'm going to attempt as your producer to explain the premise of the highest standard, (laughs) and then you can insert your notes. How about that? Sounds perfect. So in Boston, where Isara is from, um, there is a school called the Beacon Academy. And the Beacon Academy was formed mainly because Massachusetts is the smartest state in the entire country. Like public schools, number one. When it comes to black and brown kids, it's 44, 46, mm-hmm. right? And so the same state, <laughs> you have a huge discrepancy when it comes to black and brown kids. And so Beacon Academy was like, well, what can we do about it? And so Mm -hmm. essentially they form a gap year program that's 14 months. That's between uh, middle school and high school. So someone uh, will basically be a year behind when they go into high school because of this gap year program. So Mm -hmm. they're going to middle school, but then it's like, think about it as like a 
uh, eighth grade 2.0 that happens mm-hmm. and then they go into ninth grade when they would have been in 10th grade. This 14-month program is an opportunity for students to go through an immersive program where they can learn and unlearn what they've had in public schools Mm -hmm. to basically prepare themselves for the SSAT. The SSAT is a standardized test to get into um, essentially day schools, boarding schools, but we're talking, you know, the schools where the diplomats' kids go, the celebrity kids go. Um, they could be princes and princesses. So you know, we're we're talking about you know the exiters of the world, and that's recently been in conversation when we talk about affirmative action and you know all the other stuff. So this uh, documentary, the highest standard, follows three black students as they go through this program, how they take the SSAT and their application process for the various different uh, high schools, right, that they're going to, boarding schools that they're going to. And so they're followed through that process all the way through selection. And then we have a, a check-in moment um, during, the, during the pandemic as they're in their senior year. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is absolutely beautiful. Mm-hmm. How did I do? Very, very well. Okay, good. Thank I'm getting my producer credits. Yes. <laughs> I love when other people do that. Explaining <laughs> work for me. It's been a long six years. It, ha- it has. <laughs> so so um, do you want to tell folks our like meet cute of how we connected? Yeah, sure. So yeah, so I was set since I shot most of this film as a student and had just residual desire to put that into a feature film. I wanted to do, make the film independently. So I've done a lot of independent fundraising. And one aspect of that was doing a large scale crowdfunding campaign, which was a huge undertaking, but I really loved doing it because of the networking it provided um, and the kind of vehicle it allowed for getting my community engaged and meeting other like-minded folks, which you don't get if you just go to individual donors and such. So um, we had a associate producer on last summer from the journalism program I went to, a doc student, and um, she was helping push out our crowdfunding campaign. And she um, she knows Akila. So she had, <laughs> they, you worked on a short together, a short film? My my docu short, yeah, yeah. Okay, you were, you know, we had a ten minute teaser of our film that you stuck stood out to you. So then, um, we were able to connect and chat about how you could be involved, and felt like our missions were aligned. Um, and you've been so incredibly helpful. I'm so glad to have you with us. So yeah, Akila's been coaching me and um, giving feedback in the film and we were accepted into an education conference in Savannah, Georgia in the spring showing clips of the film, you know, it wasn't quite ready to show fully. Um, and so we flew separately from Oakland <laughs> to Savannah. <laughs> um, I think, you know, you were on a tight schedule. So we, we met each other like 20 minutes before our presentation <laughs> um, and nailed it to a small group of people, but it was a great conversation and had one of the students in the film zoom in. Um, that was a highlight. 
So huge highlight. Yeah. yeah. So I've produced two docu shorts, but this is like my first like feature length mm-hmm. documentary. Eighty-seven minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, 87 <laughs> minutes is the, the official runtime. And so um, some of you are probably like, well, what does it mean to be a producer? One of it, part of it is money. But the other part of it is developing relationships, um, looking at the film, providing notes, um, feedback. There's coaching, as Isara mentioned, um, because Isara is very mindful of the fact that she identifies as a white woman and this documentary tells the story of, of BIPOC students, particularly following three black students. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I mean, Sarah does a great job, but, um, and wanting to just add a little bit more. So there's just complete, you know, um, compassion and understanding of, of the systemic inequity of what happens. Mm-hmm. And then also uh, you have lived experience of going to public school mm-hmm. and private school, but it's like flip then, mm-hmm. you know, reverse from what the the students go through um, too. So mm-hmm. I think it is like so incredibly interesting to see where the film started and mm-hmm. where it is now. And everyone knows I'm a Virgo because I say it every single episode. <laughs> I'm a Virgo, I'm a Virgo, I'm a Virgo. So I had notes galore and... <laughs> Isar didn't, she was not afraid Um, (laughs) and open to it. Um, Also just want to highlight that um, you have um, a a Black woman EP, executive producer. You also have um, um, a Black editor. I mean, so there's so many people who are involved that can bring in like the lived experience of, of, of those that are in there. But the way that you've been able to build trust with the the students mm-hmm. and be around them for so long, like mm-hmm. years to follow mm-hmm. their journey and to have so many hours of footage and, and put it down into 87 minutes is an incredibly hard thing to do. Uh, but it is a really beautiful, beautiful, important um, uh, documentary that talks about inequities that we have in education. So I will never stop. And congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> I really appreciate all that. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So I'm um I'm curious. Did you did you ever think about like maybe when you were younger that you would want to direct like a music video or anything? Mm. Well, I thought you were gonna say just direct <laughs> anything. <laughs> and it's funny because I actually my first memory of what I wanted to do was direct I had a like one of those old school video cameras with a tape cassette um black and white um that I filmed like my neighborhood friends with and but then I just you know I don't know furthering in high school was at public school in Boston didn't have very creative (laughs) classes um (laughs) it just seemed impossible so I didn't pursue that um until after undergrad but anyway I love music. I've edited a like real independent music video. What? Um, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. That was fun. It was like um, a Latin band in, from the Mission, San Francisco. Oh, so, wow. Yeah, kind of historic significance with their, Absolutely. With their performing. But yeah, I, I am open to it. I would, okay. yeah, I would love that. 
Okay. Well, fun challenge. Wait, let's see if we can get you a, a VMA at some point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, move over, You're Taylor. <laughs> the VMAs and music videos they happened this week I am old I'm just gonna put that out there so you know I I will watch the VMAs from time to time but um for me it used to be this whole thing so like the MTV music Music awards Awards? yeah yeah the MTV music awards happens when um school ends and the video music awards happen when school starts. Mm. And so when I started seeing the commercials, I was like, fuck, you know, school starting again or whatever. Um, and so that's how I lived a lot of my my life. But um, did you watch them at all? No, Sorry. I yeah, did not. I don't either. Mm-hmm. I I mean I will. I will. I may, I may, <laughs> I may rewatch it as I'm recovering from surgery as something to do where I'm like, who is that? Mm-hmm. And then I'll have to Google them, you know. Um it's going to be anyway it'll be very entertaining for me but there was a lot that happened um you know there's always fashion and then like music and then you know MTV likes to do these like moments and stuff and some someone had a dress that changed a color and that was a whole deal or <laughs> whatever but um Taylor Swift led the pack with nine moon men so she got the nine little moon men awards um Securing the spot for the most wins in one night and the second most overall wins. The night also welcomed a brand new category, which was um, Afrobeats, which I think is really cool. Mm. Um, I also didn't know that K-pop was the category. So, again, a lot of changes that have happened there. Um, I Spice won for Best New Artist, which is fantastic because I think she's absolutely adorable um, and she's bad like a Barbie. That's what she told us all, to <laughs> be bad like a Barbie. Um, but especially with, like, all the Maddie Healy stuff that happened. So for folks who don't remember, Maddie Healy said some really uh, racist um, things about uh, Ice Spice. And then that's when Taylor Swift was like, hey, let's be on a remix. And that was a little problematic or whatever. But I am happy mm-hmm. that she won Best New Artist. Um, you know, those Best New Artist categories help people uh, in their career, um, you know, excel. Um, for some reason, Song of the Year had 17 different artists, which I don't know, in my day, it was like three to five. I don't know. <laughs> how do you, 17 is, is definitely a lot. The Video Vanguard Award went to Shakira Shakira. I saw a tweet once where someone was like, you're living your life and having a wonderful day. And all of a sudden in your head, you just hear Shakira Shakira. And I was like. <laughs> Oh, my God. That is me. That's literally me. That's happened to me. And then the Global Icon Award went to Sean Diddy Love Combs or whatever his name is nowadays, um, which was definitely well-deserved. And um, he performed with the son. So I did see, like, a little clip of him and his son who also raps um, doing more money, more problems, um, which I thought was really cute. So... Sorry, was there ever a time in your life where you watched the VMAs or? Not really. It's funny. I know this summer, like so many of my friends either saw Taylor or Beyonce. Yeah. <laughs> They're huge. I'm team Beyonce. shows. Nice. <laughs> As seen on my shirt. Ah. Uh, so she wore this designer. <laughs> Got and, it. Um, sh- she made me stimulate the economy by buying this low top. So. Yes. <laughs> Perfect. Win-win. <laughs> Um, 
Yeah. I mean, I listen to both of them, um, but I haven't ever kind of, I feel like the fact that Taylor can win nine awards is yeah. like, you know, there's so many musicians out there. I would love to see more variety, um, more people yeah. winning. So Beyonce didn't win. Um, that was so surprising. Yeah. Anything, especially with yeah. this body of work, but maybe she will for act two. Um, <laughs> but I agree. I think that's a really important point. Like, you know, it, when it's all going to the same person all the time. Yeah. You know, how can we like spread the love? Does mm -hmm. it just have to be like, you know, the K-pop or the Afrobeats or the, you know, best new artist category where there's actual kind of spreading of the the love? Exactly. Yeah. But at the same time, it's like, does an award mean anything? <laughs> and the answer is yes, unfortunately it does because it's yeah. systemic society and pressure and how white supremacy works and how mm -hmm. it's going to help you build your career and maintain status and and power. And so people spend a whole bunch of money to go to the Eras tour or Renaissance. And like me. Um, <laughs> so there definitely, there is that. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to try to watch the VMAs. Maybe when I come back in January, I'll have a little bit more in-depth uh, insight about it. Um, also out in the world, Poco Golf won mm -hmm. the U.S. Open. Do you did you ever play tennis? Do you like tennis? I didn't really. My my brother is a tennis player. Oh, he my dad was so it's it's around me. Um, That's pretty cool. Yeah, I did catch some of this match though. Coco's. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah. I was Aquila, so I was at Create Cultivate doing a talk. So I I missed it. So I had to catch the highlights for it. Um, but it was definitely a, a wonderful game to. To watch, as you know, um, Coco Goff is 19 years old, and she made history uh, this past Saturday, becoming the youngest American to win the U.S. Open title since my girl Serena Williams um, in what Prince calls 1999. Um, it definitely was an incredible match, and uh, Goff even said that even last night I was telling myself, you're a Grand Slam champion, and it doesn't feel real at all. Um, this is Coco's first major title win. And for me, like, I, I grew up playing tennis. So I started playing mm -hmm. tennis at five and I played through high school. I had a career ending injury because of basketball for my knee. So I had to kind of stop playing all sports. But I used to be part of the USTA and everything. Wow. And <laughs> I would I would go to camps and um yeah, I was like ranked like for like my my team to compete against um the rival school, St. Francis in Sacramento, California, where Greta Gerwig went, but we beat mm. them, <laughs> um, which I'm very, very proud of. And I, I have said that twice today. That's how proud I am um, uh, of that. Um, but it's always a special moment when a black tennis player wins an Arthur Ashe Stadium, um, just because like, you know, there's just so many levels. There's just so many levels to that, to have such a like a special moment and like even in Coco's like thank you speech, she called her dad in to say like, my dad was crying, mm -hmm. you know, like, yeah. and, and it's just, I don't know. It's just, it's really important to have those moments and how she reflected on how her dad would take her to the U S open all the time. Mm -hmm. And there's a video out there of her like being there and dancing and having fun. And now she's the champion that she's, you know, watched um, play um, on the court. So it's like, you know, all the feels. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. 
my partner was watching the match and I would come in and out. But once it got to the end stage and then yeah. like the speeches started, yeah. like, this is what I really care about. Yeah. Show me the emotion. The story. Yeah. Like a true director. Like what's yeah. the story? What's yeah. the story here? Yeah. What's their motivation? What's the motivation? As just a really genuine person. Yeah, it's nice to see. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. We we uh, we talked about her last week and how um, she was like talking about people like her grandmother, who was the first person to integrate her um, mm. school, and wow. it was six months after like Ruby Bridges, and you know, and that's the reason why she chooses to advocate because she's like, my grandmother did it when it was a lot harder than me, and yeah. so you know, I, I she's like a a real genuine person who's like you know, either their true authentic self or on that journey and it, it really shows and it's just really, really like powerful to mm-hmm. see. Yeah. Which I which I love. It's so funny. I oh politics. I <laughs> people will say like, hey, have you ever thought about running for office or mm-hmm. doing whatever? And I'm like, I say bitch fuck ho in the regular. So it's not gonna happen. <laughs> Not for me. Um, talking about politics can be like very draining, but it's interesting to see how now, particularly since the murder of Floyd and the pandemic we're still in, by the way, there's two variants, um, but, you know, being outside and and how the, the workplaces melded together, like life and work melded mm-hmm. together during the pandemic. And we're experiencing that, whether people are back in the office hybrid or, or working remotely and you know, so a lot of what happens in politics dictate a lot of my existence um, as a soft black woman mm-hmm. <laughs> and this this world. But I do have some good news in politics, which mm-hmm. is uh, Rowan Wilson was sworn in as the first black chief judge uh, in New York, in the state of New York, where I am right now. So it's kind of a big deal. Um, Wilson, a graduate of Harvard Law School, became the New York State's first black chief judge in the court's casual 176-year history on um, uh, April 18th after being confirmed by the state Senate. So he had to go through a whole process. Uh, He has been an associate judge for the Court of Appeals since 2017. And so it's one of those things where it's like really cool to have a black judge um, at that level and to be a first. But it also sucks when it's a first in 2023, um, mm-hmm. never a fan of that at all. So um, that's like, you know, that's something good. We can celebrate that. Uh, also, Biden and Harris, you may know them as the president and vice president of the United States of America. <laughs> um, they will be at the annual Congressional Black Caucus um, Awards, Phoenix Awards. So they're going to be at the awards center. It's going to be this Saturday. And it'll just be interesting what they have to say. Um, They're reported to talk about, you know, how they are, you know, the people who are making significant contributions to society and empowering the black community and any potential, you know, barriers. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not happy about politics. I'm not happy about the state of America, mm-hmm. but um, hopefully we'll, maybe get some of that energy that we'll need for the election year that we're rolling into. Are you excited about the election year? Oh my goodness. <laughs> excited <laughs> would not be the right word. <laughs> Many things. 
I'm anticipating. Yeah, I'm not sure. What's... Wait, what are you anticipating though? Oh, just probably disappointment. <laughs> mm, mm, just, mm-hmm. I've, I've, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm anticipating um, fuckery. Mm-hmm. And I, I do have a sweater that says that, thanks to um, Sean Carter, a.k.a. Jay-Z, a.k.a. The Book of Hove that I'm going to see tomorrow, which I'm really excited about. Awesome. Um, which I look forward to. But um, yeah, I um, I've said this before, and I'm going to say this again. People think things are not great now with affirmative action, and you can have DEI in certain states, and trans bans, and... Kanye, I'm sorry, yay, um, and all that other stuff. But it's gonna, it's gonna get, gonna get bad. It's gonna get really, really funky, really um, ismy or isty, <laughs> racist media. All the, all the stuff is is really, it's really gonna come out um, next year. So this is a friendly reminder to tap into your softness uh, while you can, um, because it'll be a little harder to do in 2024. But don't worry, my podcast will be back in January to guide you through it, along with my book in February. So we'll work through that. Um, Going into the things that are like crunchy and hard and and disappointing, um, Christopher Bailey uh, received almost $5 million settlement from a traffic stop in 2020. This happened in Inglewood in L.A. Um, Bailey, Christopher Bailey, a surprise to no one, a black man, uh, suffered irreversible eye damage, missing teeth, facial fractures, and, um, you know, trauma as a result of, of what he went through. Bailey was headed home from work on May 4th, uh, 2020. I want to pause. May 4th, 2020 was a simpler time. Um, it was pandemic time, but, you know, 21 days after that was the murder of George Floyd. And so uh, I can only imagine the amount of trauma that he suffered from having that experience uh, with law enforcement and then seeing what happened to George Floyd. But that May 4th, 2020, two deputies stopped him in Inglewood for allegedly straddling the road's lanes. Uh, the federal lawsuit that was filed um, two years ago said they pulled him out of his car without warning, proceeded to assault and batter him. Four other deputies arrived a few minutes later and started kicking him as he laid on the ground. Um, deputies later told investigators that they believed that he was reaching for a weapon um, and that he elbowed one of them, but no weapon was, no weapon was found. Um, he was also tased by one of the cops. Um, Bailey, uh, was unarmed and he had nothing in his hands, nothing in his pockets. Uh, and he also put in the lawsuit that like one of the cops put him in a chokehold. So I hate to say this, but like typical behavior for law enforcement for a BIPOC person, particularly a black man. So the prosecutors were able to verify, again, no firearms, no weapons were on, were on site. And, of course, in true fashion, the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department um, that caused harm to uh, Bailey, they emphasized that the event involving the use of force is regrettable and not typical 
of the department's procedures. Uh, they pointed out that in Bailey's case, the use of force occurred because he resisted arrest. Now, here's the thing. Black people, particularly black men, will resist arrest because they know the alternative is maiming or murder. So whether or not that happened or not, it doesn't mean that excessive force is used and we have this pattern of excessive force over and, and over again. Um, as someone who has told uh, a story and continues to tell stories um, that also feature like black men, what does that bring up for you? Hmm. Well, I mean, I know I'm not alone in this, but reading what happened to him just makes my stomach turn. And mm-hmm. I feel like this settlement is really the intersection of racism and capitalism. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, we we now, now that this is public, we see we made a mistake so we can make up for it with $5 million, mm-hmm. but you cannot pay off the trauma that this man has like physical and mental um, has is going to carry for the rest of his life. Stomach turn is absolutely appropriate. (laughs) The uh, last year there was last year or a single year, there was $47 million dollars. $47 $47 million for the L.A. Sheriff's Department um, in, you know, lawsuits for either murdering or maiming, harming, um, harming people. Like, it, there's a note. In one single meeting last year, they had, they approved $47 million. And this is why I'm kind of like, team defund the police, meaning how do we put Funding like that forty-seven million dollars could have gone into mental health. It could have gone into supportive services. It could have gone into wrap around. It could have gone into, um, you know, anti-bias, anti-racism training. Like it could have gone into a lot more things. But instead, we're paying victims, whether they are here and maimed or they're gone, or, you know, and their families. And that's the part that really does make someone's stomach turn. That 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 is a better use of money than to actually have care and compassion. And I don't know, just like not forcibly arrest someone. I don't know how, like, in Bailey's case, whether he was swerving or straddling the lanes or whatnot. It could have been he dropped his phone. It, who, who knows? There's so many things that are there. It wouldn't result in him not being able to see out of an eye. Like, it shouldn't have to, you know, get to that level. And yet, here we are because of the systems of, of law enforcement um, in this country. A lot of people don't connect the dots or they don't realize that law enforcement in the United States of America started by slave patrols. And during the time of enslavement, it was a way to monitor people. And so when we had the Emancipation Proclamation and the 13th Amendment, things moved to the prison industrial complex, but also those slave patrols turned into enforcement to keep the standards of, of white dominant culture. And At the same time, we had the start of um, the Ku Klux Klan 
And so in LA, there's a direct pipeline. You can, you can use Google as a search tool for this. There are, there's a, a pipeline of KKK members being part of law enforcement in LA. And so when you think about moments where there's been different versions of riots that have happened in, in LA, but it's, it, people who don't like BIPOC people are in law enforcement. This is something that we know, but we have created these structures and systems that perpetuate this type of behavior. Because if we didn't have these, we wouldn't have these types of payout. But because it's rooted in uh, white supremacy and dominance and power and control, we have payouts instead of, um, you know, preventative uh, support, counsel, care, and guidance. So, for instance, I um, I was in, I was walking my dog, and there was a drive-by shooting. And I lived in a very very fancy neighborhood, so it was just a random chase thing that was happening in my neighborhood. And I didn't call the police. It was in 20, 2021, I think. And I didn't call the police because I didn't want to have to die. <laughs> I didn't want to have to like have my hands up. I didn't want to like not be believed for what I experienced. I didn't, I didn't want to be in a situation where I knew I wouldn't get care or support for, for being in the crossfire. Um, because I'm not a white person. So I don't, the law enforcement doesn't protect me. Law enforcement harms me. Um, law enforcement doesn't want me around. And I know there's probably some listeners who are like, not everyone, because my dad or, you know, my aunt or my sister or my mom or whomever it is, is in law enforcement. And they're like, great. And they do great work. Awesome. To them, I just say, ask them to give you the badge numbers of three people who have harmed people because it does happen in every single agency. And they probably won't do that because just like the Ku Klux Klan, they protect themselves. They protect their organization. Um, and we see that with the police organization, the different types of policing organizations too, of how they come together and they'll support, you know, the officer who murdered someone or whatever. And so that's what makes my stomach turn. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> mm -hmm. My little my little end of rant there <laughs> with you a hundred percent. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, being that we both live in Oakland, we've seen so many things mm -hmm. um, happen. And uh, I don't know, between our Bay rapid transit police and, you know, our city of Oakland police, there's been, um, been a lot of uh, injustices that have happened. Mm -hmm. Oh, you know, Little happy note. Um, I'm the newest member of the Oscar Grant Foundation board, oh, which nice. I'm so excited about. So, for those of you who may not remember, Oscar Grant was murdered on um, January 1st, 2009, by Bay Area Rapid Transit or BART police on the train platform. And I was on the train that night, but I left right when like the ball dropped. So, I I was able to get home in time and, and a lot of people weren't able to get home on time. And um, his, his mother and asked if I would uh, join the foundation. Wow. And I know. Right. And mm -hmm. so um, I, I do a lot of cool things, you know, <laughs> Forbes list and all the other stuff, but like I, um, I do this work so that I can dismantle white supremacy and mm -hmm. for 
his mom, who was in Beyonce's video, by the way, um, <laughs> to ask me to um, continue the legacy of her son and um, the work. It's like an incredibly like I don't even know what to do with myself. I'm kind of like, what? How is this my life? But um, I'm also here in New York because I'm going to the Eric Garner uh, gala um, this weekend. And Amazing. we all know what happened to Eric Garner. Um, so I'm going to meet Eric Garner's mom and I'm going to be there with Oscar Grant's mom. And they both were in Beyonce's video, um, <laughs> the Freedom video, if anyone wants to look it up. And um, I don't know, it just makes like all the sacrifice of dismantling white supremacy kind of, you know, make a little bit more sense. So that's all to say, if you are in a position where you don't have to feel the weight of um, how law enforcement treats BIPOC, Black, Indigenous people of color, Black people, brown people in this country, you have like a tremendous amount of privilege because I've never felt um, safe around law enforcement. So. Yeah. One of my fun segments that I like to do is called Twice as Hard. And while BIPOC, Black Indigenous people of color, often have to work twice as hard to get half as far, this segment highlights a conversation or eye-opening moment of a BIPOC person or people in culture or politics. And this week, we're highlighting dictionary.com. <laughs> and why are we highlighting dictionary.com? Well, um, they have added 566 new uh, terms, and one of them is box braids. Now, I have them in right now. I have box braids right now. I always go for color 613. It's the blondest mm -hmm. of blondes, um, the golden of goldens. Um, and this is like a, a big moment because box braids are something that's um, not only cute and stylish and fashionable, but um, it's part of uh, African-American culture. It's part of black culture. It's part of the African diaspora uh, to have to have braids, also known as a protective style. I have been wearing braids more because I lost a lot of my hair with the medication that I'm no longer on. So I've been working to get my hair back and, and box braids does um, just that. Box braids is defined as um, a triple-stranded braid made from the hair in a square-shaped area of the scalp. And then the second description is uh, it's a hairstyle popularized by black people and involves parting the hair into little squares or other shapes above the scalp and braiding the hair from each area, which is exactly what a box braid is. I feel like this is a moment in time for, for black hair mm -hmm. and anyone who wears um, box braids in the black diaspora. But in addition to box braids, um, Dictionary.com withdrew binary gendered expressions such as his or her or he and she from the entire lexicon. Um, wow. And the reason why they did that is to um, have more inclusion. And that was like the driving factor behind the move. So shout out to Dictionary.com uh, <laughs> for that. Um, you're probably wondering why is Dictionary.com and twice as hard? Well, uh it's 2023 and box braids are being recognized and we've had box braids since the enslavement of my ancestors in this country. Braids used to be used as a way to determine an escape path for enslaved people. Um, braids would also carry strands of seeds 
as people escape so they can have a, a crop, um, told stories. And then as we move into kind of today's time, it is a, a, uh, a kind of wonderful celebratory process, whether it's your parent or friend or um, your braider. Shout out to Uniqua gifted hands. She is my braider in Oakland, California. Um, that you just kind of have these moments of solidarity and celebration and inspiration with braids. So, um, that's all to say, Sarah, do you like my braids? I love them. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see more of them. <laughs> well, you, you will, cause we'll have to get together yeah. in Oakland, you yeah. know, um, and not Savannah, but how do you feel about, um, you know, something as big as dictionary.com taking out, um, you know, binary and gendered language? Yeah, that's a huge step. I didn't actually know that. Oh, it's I'm fresh. Pretty- it's new. That's yeah. what we're here for. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> Great. <laughs> um, yeah, I, w- I wait for the day that that happens. And like, I guess dictionary.com is the like foremost dictionary source now, huh? Is that true? Like, does it's anyone- just quick and relevant. I mean, you know, yeah. Miriam Webster is hanging out there. Right, right. thing. Yeah. I yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, that's super, super exciting. And I was looking through the other words that they added along with box braids. And I, there's so many I don't know, but that's really exciting. Yeah. Too. Like, um, uh, Coda has been added too. Mm-hmm. So that. that's like pretty exciting for those that don't know. It's a child of a, a deaf adults. So mm-hmm. um, I think that's really great to have that in there. And I don't know, whoever whoever's doing the work over there is doing <laughs> yeah. the work and it's, you know, it's getting done and and hopefully it has influence with other um, right. dictionaries and the Saurus <laughs> Sai, the Saurus <laughs> that's out there. These kids don't know how good they have it because they can go to dictionary.com because I, I would have to find the dictionary. Yeah, same. And if like some of them are fancy enough where they had the little tab thing, mm-hmm. now people know how old I am. I'm 41. They have the tab and then you could just like, you know, and then the other ones you just have to like flip through it and, mm-hmm. you know, figure it out. Yeah. Well, my favorite, favorite segment is Sounds About White. Um, it's the part of the show where we highlight a new story featuring the latest in white privilege. And this week we are talking about Lauren Boebert. Um, Lauren uh, is my least favorite Lauren in the world. My my most favorite Lauren is is my chief strategy officer, Lauren. But um, so she is, you know, a Republican representing Colorado, and she was escorted out of Beetlejuice the musical because of multiple complaints. I mean, how hard do you have to work to be escorted out of a musical, like? kudos so um there are complaints about um her smoking a vape and like singing and just generally causing a disturbance there were some reports that um was around a a pregnant woman and like just being on the phone and so they were warned like her and the i don't know who the person she was with um they were warned like hey chill um but they were argumentative so they, because they're so argumentative, um, they were removed. 
And there's like footage of her being removed. And I don't know, really understand the dress that she's wearing. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> she's like being combative in there. Um, but on a social media post uh, said that um, she <laughs> she was just guilty of uh, of laughing and singing too loud. Um, that's it. But you know, people aren't going to escort you unless you're doing stuff that's pretty hard. I mean, if you're mm-hmm. if you're if you were singing and laughing too hard, I, I think that would be fine because again, it's a musical. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm I'm in a land of musicals right now. People are supposed to have fun, crowd mm-hmm. interaction, all the other stuff. But you know, Lauren being Lauren, um, and so. She's in Sounds About White because there are white people who feel that they are above the law and can do whatever they want in whatever space, and they're entitled to do uh, whatever they want instead of respecting the space and other people's experience so everyone can enjoy the show. But do you follow Lauren at all? Not like on social media or anything like that, but like (laughs) which Bobert does. (laughs) <laughs> I well not really but I love it's politics up. yeah, yeah. <laughs> she's why I don't like politics You're right um, yeah. I looked her up today to prepare for this and I was reminded of who she was and the problematic jokes that she's made in the past and I was like, it all came back right girl yeah, yeah this she is no 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 yeah washing I- through I think she is the epitome of a hot mess um, mm-hmm. and just happens to have this you know, powerful position to allow other people her hot messes to be hot messes in unison and, you know, be infatuated by what she says and, and what she does. So, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Yeah, I feel especially kind of angry at her because she – Mostly because of her joke about um, and comment about Ilhan Omar. Um, oh yes, and you know, I I worked on a film about John Lewis, and mm-hmm. he did such amazing work, like lifting up other young um, black and brown women from all over the country into uh, politics, and I'm like so moved by. The people who will kind of face such more adversity than I would entering such the public sphere to like to do the good work for the country. And just when people attack them, I just feel some sort of, it's especially like the women, I just feel so, so frustrated. It's so besides the point. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, um, it, it absolutely, it absolutely is. Um. Tell folks about the John Lewis thing that you Mm, did, the thing. (laughs) (laughs) That was a really special project. Um, I worked for an amazing director, acclaimed filmmaker, Don Porter. Um, She met John Lewis, I think, working on another political film, and he just struck a chord with her, as he does with pretty much every human I think he ever interacted with. So she set out to make a documentary about him and his life's work, in for starting with SNCC Mm -hmm. Um, and we you know for voting rights um, and the civil rights movement and um, his journey kind of from a kid on the streets into 
U.S. politics and how he, um, yeah, brought the kind of right work with him and had so much archival footage in that film. It was really a joy to work on and I learned a lot. Um, and then interestingly, you know, he was diagnosed with cancer in like the last month of production on the film, really. And so it ended up premiering about a month after he passed. So it was a really special, we had no way of knowing that was, that was the timeline that the universe had for us. But yeah. it was a really cool way to feel like we contributed to um, a way that people could learn more about his legacy and have him live on. What an him. incredible <laughs> experience to have. And, and for mm -hmm. listeners who don't know what SNCC means, it is um, mm -hmm. the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee. So they're mm -hmm. behind a lot of, um, you know, sit-ins and, and things at that and, and um, you know, activism of that time. And it really, really was students <laughs> who, you know, college mm -hmm. students who were, you know, were, were doing the work, which is, um, it's a really big deal. So I think it's awesome that you've been able to, you know, use your privilege and the power that mm -hmm. you have to um, be able to tell these really important stories um, specific to the, the Black community, which is Thank you. fantastic. Um, how are you going to bring softness into this week for yourself? Mm, love that question. <laughs> I'm trying to do a little bit less <laughs> um, <laughs> and make more space to focus on what matters and cut out the noise. <laughs> which is really hard. So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm really trying to stay true to my daily morning meditation, Ooh. taking breaks throughout the day to just stand outside and take some deep breaths. And remember that grounding is like outside at all. It's okay to step away and just be with me and then like remind myself that I'm in charge. Mm -hmm. <laughs> all the, the tasks and the duties and that are more harsh all the tasks and the duties yes <laughs> they're 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 definitely there but you know standing in your ownership and power and recentering yourself um, outside time mm -hmm. meditation are wonderful ways of softness um one other way people can be soft is by watching John Lewis, Good Trouble. It's available on Amazon Prime. Thank you. <laughs> um, HBO Max. Uh, but you can also pay for it on, on YouTube or Google Play or Apple TV if you'd like. It is everywhere. Um, highly recommend. I am – how am I going to be soft? I don't mm. – well, I am, I am going to take Sunday off to do something. I, I am going to see the Book of Hove, which I'm, like, so excited about because – in Sacramento, California, where I grew up, I would stay up late night to listen to East Coast hip hop because I, I always knew I was bigger than Sacramento. <laughs> <laughs> and that's when I like fell in love with Jay-Z and have been a fan. So I'm going to go like geek out um, and nerd out on that. But usually when I'm in New York, it's like a nonstop thing for me. And um, so my softness, I'll probably have to have next week. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, and um, tap into that. I think, I think, I think I'm going to do that. I am 
Actually, no, I was soft. I was soft on the plane. I was soft on the plane because <laughs> I fell asleep. <laughs> I actually fell asleep. Nice. Thanks to the cocktail I had and a little bit of bubbles. Um, <laughs> I <laughs> I uh, celebrated myself. Uh, and Star was actually with me when this happened. I, you know, we had uh, Idris, a co-founder of the Oakland Roots and Soul on uh, last week's episode. And um, I'm the lead investor for a community investment round. And we we raised $1 million in one day. And, and that was yesterday. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, um, I, what did I call myself? Oh, I'm now, you can call me Million Dollar Kiki. That's my nickname. <laughs> million Dollar Kiki. Um, so the first time I'm doing that. Kiki. Yeah. Like that time of project. Yeah. So that's why I had the drink to celebrate myself and actually sleep on the plane. So um, <laughs> can you tell folks how they can find you? Sure. Um, my website is asarakrieger.com. That has a good overview of all the work I do from documentary to client video. Uh, do a lot of work with cool nonprofits in the Bay Area. Um, I'm on Instagram, <laughs> but yes. my account was hacked last year, so I had a nice fresh restart this year. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> that was a whole learning process around letting that go. Um, I appreciate it now, though. So, yeah, Krieger, <laughs> And, um, yeah, on my personal site, there's a tab for the film's website, higheststandardfilm.com. You can subscribe there and get our... Um, updates about where we'll be screening and the films on Instagram too, which you can find from my personal page. <laughs> I love that. Um, and last name for those who are listening is spelled K-R-I-E-G-E-R. Thank you. You're welcome. You're absolutely welcome. So um, that's it for today's episode. Be sure to join the Soft Black Woman Club by leaving us a rating and review on Apple and Spotify and follow the Betcha Sub podcast wherever you're listening. And remember to follow the new Soft Black Woman channel on Apple and Spotify. Uh, when episodes come back in January, that's where they'll live. Again, you can have the trailer there. The previous episodes will be there too. Like, I have my own channel, y'all, which is pretty exciting. Uh, we'll have new episodes for the rest of September. So still subscribe to the Betcha Sub channel so you won't miss our next episode next Friday. And y'all know you can follow me at Change Today. I'm not going to spell it anymore because you've listened enough to know <laughs> what my name is. Um, and you can follow at Betches underscore news on Instagram and TikTok. Until next week, stay soft and keep being amazing. Soft Black Woman is produced by Amanda Duberman, Rebecca Salzmacat, and Sean Kilby. Editing by Rebecca Salzmacat. Guest booking by Ali Friedlander. Social media by Amanda Duberman and Bridget Swartz. Be sure to follow at Betches underscore SUP on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And send us your emails on SUPPod at Betches.com. Betches.